Et bien, les Matildes l'ont fait. Ils partent à Paris pour Gélu. That is, well, the Matildas have done it. They're off to the Paris Olympics and I do apologize to any French people tuning in. I have just one thing to say to you. Bonjour, you cheese and surrender monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> and to pay tribute to the host of the upcoming Olympic Games, I promise A, not to speak French uh, for the duration of the tournament. And I've staged a revolution and taken the hosting duties away from Lockie for this evening's episode. The Matildas qualified 13-0 on aggregate. Michelle Heyman announced her return to the national team, while Caitlin Torpy announced her arrival on the global stage. It was colder than the Arctic Circle on Saturday night in Tashkent and stifling hot in Melbourne on Wednesday night across the two legs. Now Tony Gustafson has a decision to make. Who goes on the plane to Paris? And where do they sit on the plane? And we ask the tough questions of our own here on the A-Leagues of our own podcast. Questions such as, does Michelle Heyman want a window or an aisle seat? And just where in the bloody hell do I get a Matilda's Keeper jersey? All of that and more will be discussed on this episode of the A-Leagues of our own podcast presented by the Inner Sanctum. My name is Paletti and joining me today is Jacob Stevens. Jacob, how are you? Yeah, pretty good. It's nice to be here. And also joining me is Ross Papadakis. Ross, how are you? Doing all right. Thanks for having me. So, a uh, little bit of a technical change here. Lockie has come down ill, which is why I've taken over the hosting duties. And he had here to start with in the rundown, uh, did Paletti get an Arnold shirt? And to that, I say, next question, please. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I tried and I tried and I tried and I failed miserably. Therefore, the lesson is never try. Um, uh, I did, uh, however, manage to get my hands on one of Adelaide United's uh, pride goalkeeper kits uh, that has apparently already shipped. So I'm really <laughs> excited about that. I placed the order at the airport on my way back to Sydney, and by the time I had landed, it had already shipped. Eh, maybe it'll be here tomorrow. Who knows? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll go into the first leg here. Uzbekistan nil, Australia 3. Ellie Carpenter had a very interesting role in this game. Uh, she won the fans player of the match. It was extremely attacking in kind of an inverted sort of role. It was, she was allowing Hayley Razzo and Caitlin Torpy, you know, to not only, you know, stay in wider areas, but also rotate between the two flanks. Um, she was making runs in the right half space, creating overloads down the right-hand side and dominating that side of the field. Um, it was just kind of shifting as well between defensive and midfield lines. There were no goals in the first half of this game overall, but the, the issue was the final ball and the finishing touch. And we're going to touch on that a little bit later uh, when we take a deeper dive into Caitlin Torpy, you know, across the two games here. Um, I guess overall, Jacob, I'll start with you. What did you make of the first leg? I think that the Matildas did some things really well. And I think that, like you said, they sort of just lacked that final product, which was really frustrating to watch. Sort of sat in this this two four four formation almost going going forwards, just two at the back. Um, and then they had, like you mentioned, Carpenter sort of came inside slightly, was a bit more narrow. Catley got very, very wide. And that sort of shifted things across um, slightly more to the left-hand side of the pitch. Um, and like you said, opened up. Uh, the, those wide spaces for Torpy and Rasso to move into. Uh, the big issue was that there were some fantastic phases uh, in terms of wing play, and that's really where the Matildas' best chances came from, both in the first and the second half. You know, they attacked direct right up the wing, and they'd whip the ball cro- across into the box. The big problem there was that the quality of runs being made into the box were just not 
high enough quality to be able to finish those chances off. They were too late. They were too shallow. They took poor angles and couldn't, you know, get the purchase on the ball that they needed. I think it was Haley Russo had a couple of chances at really difficult angles, and there was just a real lack of that clinical presence in the box. I will mention that I think the midfield worked really well. Um, Kyra Cooney Cross, who we'll touch on in a little bit, presented really well as a six, dropped a lot deeper to receive and play on the turn, um, but she was still able to get forwards uh, and, and just sort of assist in the structure of that midfield a lot as well. Um, and, and in general, that partnership with, with her and, and Gori in the midfield was, was very, very strong. I do think that, yeah, it was they created chances it's about the quality of those chances and the quality of the finishing and that's what the frustrating thing was because everyone could see that you know they probably should have been two or three up at half time uh, but they just couldn't get the ball in the back of the net yeah and tony said at post game they left a lot of chances on the park um and it was kind of frustrating to watch right because we've seen this sort of formation work well from tony before you got mary fowler you got emily van egmond you know, kind of operating, you know, as strikers, but they weren't really strikers. It was it was more of a case of they were both playing as false nines, and if both of them are playing as false nines, where's your striker? We see it work during the World Cup, but that was a lot of necessity as opposed to him, you know, not necessarily having a striker available, whereas in this game, he did. He had Michelle Heyman sitting on the bench, and... I don't know, like, and Russ, I'll come to you on this. Is this sort of one of Tony's biggest problems is reverting to tactics that don't always work when results are needed? Like, put, putting the putting the results aside, the 13-0 on aggregate, you, you like, no one could have seen the 10-0 coming. And so, you know, you need to score, you need to score in the first leg away from home, and it's 45 minutes of all the ball but no shots. I think it's I think it's interesting because obviously for the past five ten years this team's been built around Sam and obviously she's not in the she's not in the picture right now so I feel like it's been a bit of experimenting a little bit for a while and I mean we'll get to Michelle Heyman in a bit and I feel like when you're building a team around one specific player it's always going to be tough and obviously we don't have anyone in line without her so I'm kind of like it was con- it was convincing at least so I'll take it thirteen no you can't really complain can you watching that. We'll touch on Michelle Heyman now. She came on for Emily Van Egmond, who missed an absolute sitter to start the second half. And Tony sort of changed his tactics a little bit. I looked at it as more of a 3-3-4. I think, like you said, he looked at it as a 3-5-2. But it was just kind of moving sort of all over the place. And then, I don't know what he said at halftime, but they came out and they just absolutely just started piling shots on and quality shots too they were they were breaking down the Uzbekistani defense with a little bit more ease and then Michelle Heyman comes on and marks her return to the international stage uh with a goal um and then it it was almost like what that game was missing was a striker and then lo and behold a striker comes on and boom the the floodgates start to open and then Michelle Heyman gets rewarded with a start in Melbourne at home as a hat-trick 16 minutes in. Um, look, I don't know where you two stand, but does Tony need to essentially put her on the plane right now? Yeah, 100%. I agree. I, I think she goes. Yeah, uh, I, I do as well. And, you know, there, there's time to integrate Michelle Heyman in. Like, like she's the most informed striker in the country that we have at the moment that that is eligible to play for the Matildas. 
and, and like I said, like there's that time coming in, right? So, so we've got the April window uh, where they're off to Texas to play Mexico. Presumably, you'd think there would be another game coming in that window. Like, I'd like to see them. I'd like to see them play Colombia, but I know that's not possible because Mexico are playing Colombia a few days later. Uh, I mean, we've seen them play Canada recently, so you can probably rule Canada out. Maybe another go around with the Americans. Otherwise, Brazil's an option. <laughs> it's been a while since we've had a Matildas vs. Brazil game, so let, <laughs> let's, let's get that happening again. Maybe play it in Brazil this time. Um, I mean, the likes of a Chile, the likes of an Argentina. Like, like These are the sorts of games I want to see as we're coming into the Olympics. Like, Jacob, I'll start with you. Who do you want to see the Matildas play between now and the Olympics? Um, I think you covered all the bases pretty well there. I do think <laughs> that... <laughs> no, but I do think I, I do think that that quality European opposition would be absolutely massive for this team heading into the Olympics. You know, it's all well and good to be playing the likes of Uzbekistan, who have improved leaps and bounds over recent years. They've invested a lot of money in their footballing programs, um, and they're they're coming on good with that. But they're still, you know, that step or two behind the sort of competition that the Matildas will be facing at the Olympics. And you, you can't go into it just treating every game as a tune-up or a warm-up. You've got to be serious about the sort of games that you're playing. And this is a case in, in all facets of international football, whether it's men's or women's, is just A, the, the lack of consistent good quality fixtures, um, and B, the uh, sort of inability really to, to get a team to gel together when you're playing so few fixtures. So I think it's incredibly important that they go there, they acclimatise, um, and, and that they're playing opposition at the level that they're going to be facing against. Because if you're going to be, you know, beating lower, you know, lower teams, lesser teams, 10-0, 11-0, sort of every game, you're not really developing... The, the squad, the tactics, anything that you need to to the right extent, because you're not facing any real you know opposition there. Um, so I think that it's yeah definitely very important for them to to look and, and choose the absolute best opposition that they can. Don't be afraid to have a tough match because I think that's the sort of thing that you need going into a, a big tournament. Yeah, I'm, I'd love to see a, a top tier European side. That'd be nice. Um, obviously, we had a couple in the Women's World Cup, and that was we took them to we took what France to extra time and penalties so that's pretty good and then England obviously just lost to I'd love it I'd love a <laughs> see Jacob have a celebration there um, <laughs> I'd love to see like a I mean get me like a Germany a Sweden something like that again just to test it test ourselves against them give us like, I'm happy to vest France again see how we hold up against France do we still consider the Americans top 15? I mean, they've been on a bit of a slide lately. Um, you, know, you know, they just lost 2-0 to Mexico in the Gold Cup in a result that no one saw coming. Like, Emma Hayes is on her way in. Like, I, I don't know where to stand, right? Because, like, we've traditionally always struggled against the Americans. We came up against them twice in the last Olympics. It was a draw and a loss um, in the bronze medal game. And the draw really only came down to the fact that to advance... It, both Australia and USA needed the draw to do it. Like it's, like I don't know. It, it, it's a weird one, right? Yeah, it's tough because America's always been sort of the measuring stick for women's football. I think you know, it's you, you're comparing yourself to the US, and it's one of those things where. Uh, teams are going to sort of be on a downfall after being so dominant for so long. That happens, again, it happens in every at every level of football. Um, I do still think that their quality opposition, they're a lot, a lot better than any of potential, the, potentially the Asian or the Pacific sides that, you know, you might typically see Australia looking to sort of tune up against. Um, so it would be an upgrade there. But in comparison to the top European squads, I think that, it, you know, they're still not quite at that level. 
Yeah, no, that, that's that's definitely a fair assessment. Uh, we'll, we'll turn it back to the Matildas now, and we're going to focus on Caitlin Torpy here. Now, Jacob, the way that she played that first half, it was, it was very much, she started on the left. Uh, it, it was supposed to look like a little bit of a flat 4-4-2, but very quickly changed like a four-two-four sort of vibe, I yeah, guess. Basically, yeah. And, you know, you, you, you had you know Mary Fowler, Van Egmond a little bit more centrally. You had Razzo and Torpy just floating in on the left, floating in on the right, swapping at will almost. Ellie Carpenter tearing up through the middle. But I, I really liked her first half. It, it was a strong, it was a strong performance for me. She got into all the spaces that she needed to. She showed that versatility that Tony talked about. Um, what did you make of her first half performance in Tashkent? Yeah, um, I was really impressed with sort of her footballing brain. Um, like you mentioned, Paletti, she was constantly finding herself in space, in good areas, and constantly threatening um, the Uzbekistan defence. And that's not something that just happens. You know, you can be a naturally gifted footballer if you've got, you know, a good touch or a good strike or something like that. But to be able to know where to be at any given point in time, that just takes a lot of, you know, real thinking. And, you know, to have a player who's, you know, it, that's her, her first soccer, uh, not soccer, is Matilda's game, right? Um, so to, to be able to come in at that stage and be able to find yourself consistently in good positions, I think it was helped by the flexibility at the front line. While that did diminish from, you know, the finishing and the chance to make those runs onto the end of balls and things like, like I mentioned before, that did actually help her out because she felt like she was allowed to sort of move around a bit more freely and, and play her sort of game, which I think that when you've got young players and when you've got players who have that sort of versatility, that flexibility, to be able to play into those advantages is absolutely mega. Um, and yeah, while it did hurt not having an out and out nine there, I think it did also help Torpy and sort of getting integrated into the squad a little bit and getting up to pace. Yeah, and if we look at Tony Gustafson's comments after the Melbourne game, uh, I asked him about Torpy in the in the press conference. Um, you know, like, how did you feel that she slotted into this squad during camp, and did you get to see what you wanted to see out of her? Because in the lead up, in the selection, he talked about why she was selected. You know, her versatility and all these sorts of things. And and Tony's answer I thought was incredibly telling about what he and the coaching staff have seen. I know she has quality. We've seen it in club. We've seen it in U23. She's selected based on performance. She's not in here to be developed. She's in here because she's ready to train in our environment. In the first three days, we were very positively surprised how quickly she adjusted to the tempo. The last time I saw a player do that that quickly was when Claire Hunt came in a year ago. And I think that's quite telling. The fact that, you know, he was just so full of praise for this person, for this player who's played all of 130 minutes for the Matildas, scored her debut goal. And Ross, across the two games, I think like the only criticism that you could make of Torpy if you wanted to, you know, make a criticism and be very picky was that she just lacked the confidence to shoot. And we saw that in the first game. It was. I want to say the 21st and the 44th minutes. Both wide open chances. She probably should have taken it the first time on both occasions and just taken the shot. That own goal wasn't even a shot. It was Caitlin Torpy looking to pass instead of shooting. Like, uh, I, I heard a few people in the press box just going, just shoot, just shoot. <laughs> and, and it was like that for a little bit, you know, until Torpy actually took that first shot. 
looks to pass it in the middle. It goes in off the back of an Uzbekistani defender. It's 1-0, 40 seconds in. And it almost looked like just the weight of the world had just fallen off of Torpy's shoulders. Like, she just got that nervous energy out of her system. And it wasn't even a shot from her that did it. Like, <laughs> And then she gets the goal a little bit later. And I, I know that's probably being nitpicky, but Ross, what, what do you think of that assessment? No, I agree. I, I don't think it's easy coming to an environment like this and playing 130, 140 minutes of a team you don't really know, right? So she's come in and she's, as soon as, I mean, the cross helped her out a bit. She got much more confident. She was very fluid in the way she was playing. And I think that helped with her as well. And I think that the game was really open for her to just do what she wanted to do. And I think that helped her out. I don't know. We're going down a couple of levels here relative to where the Matildas are. Uh, probably a few levels, actually, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, but she won the Golden Boot last year uh, for the Preston Lions in NPL Victoria Women's Competition. She played nine games and got nine goals as a striker. She Literally, a goal a game striker, and she's a checks notes defender. Like, like she's not a forward by any stretch of the imagination, but that is how talented she is, just the versatility. Like, we've seen it with Melbourne City this year as well. She's floating in and around everywhere in the park. She's been started on the right. She's been started on the left. She's been started in defense. It's amazing to just see a player like this. He's stressed the importance of the development of the under-23 level in terms of getting players here. It's one of the reasons that the under-23 was brought in for, you know, for the Matildas because it used to be under-17s, under-20s, seniors, and that was it. You know, like, like we've got our under-20s heading off to the Asian Cup, which starts this weekend. You can watch every game on 10 play. And that Matilda side is absolutely stacked. The, 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 that young Matilda side... Yeah, it's a massive benefit for a, a young player to have that sort of versatility because then there's really no excuses not to be getting minutes, you know. And it's one of those ones where she can improve just how good a player she is in each of those positions as well. And then, you know, coaches and whatnot can, can figure out how to best use her in the, in their structures and in their systems. And like you said, Ross, you know, she was able to play a bunch of different roles in just two matches for, for the Matildas here. So, um, you know, it's really, really promising stuff to see. I absolutely love when players can play in multiple positions and things like, you know, she can play at the back or right up front. You know, it's not like, oh, she can play different roles in the midfield. No, she can literally do everything. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see her put the gloves on at some point like you know <laughs> uh, well i mean to be fair well we have seen Mackenzie arnold uh play as a midfielder yeah. uh, for <laughs> west ham so uh, maybe maybe the maybe the role happens in reverse who, who even knows at this point what what could happen now jacob you want to talk about kyra cooney cross i sure do because she is an absolutely excellent player um yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I'm an Arsenal fan as well, so I've seen a bit of her there this season. Um, and it was definitely frustration among Arsenal fans of, you know, who signed Kyra Cooney-Cross, and then she didn't really get many minutes to, to start with. The moment she got the chance, uh, you know, to, to get out on the field, she showed what she was capable of, and she's done the same thing here for the Matildas in these last two games. Uh, I touched on a little bit before the sort of role that she had where she'd drop in a lot deeper. Really, really useful role, especially when you've got two at the back in possession. You need that option, that outlet to either bypass the press or just to sort of recycle possession a little bit and see if you can create something new. But what she did so excellently in that role was, yes, she'd drop and receive the ball, but on the turn, absolutely excellent. I don't remember her getting dispossessed on the turn even once. You know, she 
has obviously a fantastic vision, able to pick out passes really nicely, and she's really good on the ball. And then there's, you know, the the biggest plus of all is her set piece delivery and the number of problems she caused, especially in that second game uh, for the Uzbekistan defence from corners was incredible. And it honestly felt like they were going to score every time they had a corner simply because of the quality of the delivery. So yeah, I, I've, there's, there's so much I could say about her, like just so much praise, a really, really quality player. As someone who has uh, allegedly seen her score from corners in crucial moments, um, (laughs) (laughs) it it, it always looks threatening when she's on the ball uh, from a set-piece situation. Well, you know, as the chant says, when she's on the ball, she's effing magical, Kara Cooney, cross, 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 and I'm all for it. The Olympics are still a while away, and we understand that, but it wouldn't be an analysis podcast if we didn't, uh, you know, have some wild and wacky predictions far out. So we're going to go inside the mind of Tony Gustafsson and name our 18 player squads that if we were Tony, we'd be taking to the Olympics. Now, the rules are simple. There are no rules other than the general selection criteria that is required. So that is a minimum of two goalkeepers. Um, and I think that's it. I don't think that's literally it. I don't think yeah. there's any other requirements. Is <laughs> two of the players must be goalkeepers. Uh, now you are allowed four reserve players, um, one of whom must be a goalkeeper. Those are your injury replacements. So it's essentially a squad of 22, but only 18 can play. And once the first game kicks off, I'm 99% sure that's it. So we're just we're going to keep it with the 18. These are the 18 who we're going to play. Uh, Ross, let's start with you. Arnold and Mike are in net. I don't really mind who's a second goalkeeper. Like, I know Arnold's going to play. I'm happy with Micah. Anyone that goes there is good to fill the gap. Um, I've gone um, Claire Hunt, Alana Kennedy, and Claire Polkenhorn. And the, as a centre-back's role, just as like a... I mean, Polkenhorn's always there, and Alana Kennedy and Claire Hunt are great players. Now, I've chucked Torpy in defence, but obviously she's everywhere. So I've gone Carpenter and Catley. Obviously, there's two wins to start, I think. And then Torpy's there as just a Torpy. Karakini Cross, Gori, and Van Egmond, Rasso, Ford, and then I've gone Courtney Vine. I'm not too sure what's the personal reasons for her withdrawal were, but hoping that it's all well, I think she makes a plane. And then I've gone Michelle Heyman, Fowler, and I'm torn for the last one between, or the last two. I've got Legazo as well, somewhere in the midfield. And then I'm the last player I'm torn between Chidiak and Harding. I think that's based off, like, to be honest, I don't know what's going on with the striker ball. We don't really have a lot of options. And Chidiak can just sit in the hole. Yeah, that's a, that's I a mean, Sophie one. Harding didn't play in these yeah. qualifiers. Yeah. She, she was brought in after Vine's withdrawal. Now, Tony was only allowed to select 22. So it's not that Harding was brought in as a train-on player. She was mm. a full member of the squad. It's just Tony made the decision to leave her out on match days. So... That's a weird one. I look. She's got nine goals into assists in sixteen games in the in the dub. No, no, I, I understand that, but it's like it's also is she going to be able to make the step up? Like it, there's no there's no doubt that she's the next person up. And post Olympics, it would not surprise me if she's first one. Well, okay, it, it would surprise me if she's the first one named on the team sheet. But she's she's gonna get her chance post Olympics, barring any more injury. Touch wood. Um, Look, I've, I'm high on Chidiak, and I think everyone here knows how high I am on Alex Chidiak. She's not going. There's no way she's going. Which is a bit like, yeah, I've got Legazo, and then, like, I guess you grab, like, you need another striker slash a 10 in there. So I'm, like, I'm lost for who, to be honest. It was quite a bit. 
Well, that's the tough thing is is who's going to be that that striker second to Heyman. And I've, honestly, I don't really have much of a, an out-and-out replacement either. I think it's going to be a case where you, TG's just got to pray that nothing happens to Heyman. <laughs> oh. Uh, Jacob, uh, let's hear your squad. Yeah, so quite a lot similar to the to Ross. I think there's you know probably about eleven or twelve players that we'll all probably have in the squad um, that are pretty much guaranteed. So obviously Arnold's going to be there. Uh, Micah is the backup goalkeeper. Catley, Carpenter, Kennedy, Hunt, they're all in. I've gone Polkinghorne as well, just as depth in the centre of defence. I've got Charlie Grant in there who Ross didn't have in. Um, I, I think that, you know, she can play right back, she can play left back. It's just, again, it's that depth, depth piece. And rather than having somebody who can just play one side, I'd prefer to have somebody in I who think can... if she finishes off Spurs season, well, she'll, she'll get on the plane. But, I don't know, she's sitting in and out of the Spurs yeah, quite, so it's a bit tricky with her. It is, it is. Um, but, I mean, she made a couple of very fleeting minutes in the Uzbekistan games, so I'll, I'll take some uh, confidence from that, that that TG has um, has given her a bit of backing. Obviously, KCC and Gori in the middle. Um, again, Vine, whatever happens with her availability, I think she'd probably be in if she's available, um, just has, has that quality and obviously is, is the big name and, and the, was the face of the squad for a little while after the World Cup. Um, I've got, obviously, Hayley Rasso, Mary Fowler, Caitlin Ford, um, Heyman and Torpia in there as well. I've got Emily Van Egmond in as well, who I think, you know, again, there's that little bit of versatility there to her game, can play in the midfield, can play up front, although obviously in that first leg, nothing... Um, overwhelmingly incredible um, that she produced, but at least is an option there. Um, and instead of Chloe Legazzo, like you had, Ross, I've gone for Claire Wheeler, just simply on the back of the fact that Tony gave us some minutes against Uzbekistan. So That's a fair assessment, but Claire Wheeler for me has been the interesting one. She didn't play a minute at the World Cup. Look, I, I'm not going to pretend like I watched too much of the WSL you know, this is a long-standing thing with me. I don't watch a lot of European football. Some might even call me an A-League snob. Um, <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. I, I don't know. It's just for me, like, I don't see where Claire Wheeler factors into Tony's plans. And, and that's not a knock on Claire Wheeler. I've, I, you know, I enjoy watching her. I think she's a fantastic player. I just, yeah, I, I just don't know where she stands. I just think that you really need somebody in there just, you know, uh, as backup for, for um, uh, Cooney Cross and Gorey, you know, and uh, she's playing for Everton, obviously, in the WSL, like you touched on, Paletti, who, look, they're not having a, a fantastic season by any by any means, um, but it's, it's just, you know, you need somebody in there, and that's a role. I was honestly, you know, you could put three or four players in there as sort of that, just backup. You'd hope Cooney Cross and Gorey don't get injured because if they don't get injured, then you're fine. But if they get injured, yeah. then we're kind of like, oh. Mm. Well, it's to say it's the this the Heyman situation, but here it's not. Here it's not that you don't have options. It's that there's potentially too many options. <laughs> I think just having to bring this down to 18 just presents so much of a problem. Like this would be a lot easier if it was 20, because yeah. then you've got those borderline players. But I mean, look, we we know there's limited spots. It is what it is. I mean, look, for me, my 18, I've got two different 18s here. Um, and the, there's really only one noticeable difference between the two of them. Basically, the entire starting 11 from yesterday, yeah, yeah. they're on the plane. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's literally what I'm basing this off. I'm basing well, this, that's, that's, that's the best 11 at the moment. Like, I'm, basing this off the 20, I'm basing this off the 22 that were selected that played uh, throughout these games. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm basically just looking at this list and it's like, right, 
who do I cut and how do I cut them? Because I don't know, like, like Legazzo. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, tricky one. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, this is the toughest part of any coach's job, the cuts. Legazzo, you're cut. Wheeler, <laughs> you're cut. Charlotte Grant, I like your hustle. That's why it was so hard to cut you. Um, so I'm down three, so I've got 19, and this is where my squads kind of differ. If Tony takes the two keepers, Wyman is not going to go. Yeah. Um, if he takes three keepers, then Amy Sayer is left out for me. And and that's a problem, I think. I like Amy Sayer. I think she's she's a great footballer. She's 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 an incredible she has an incredibly smart footballing IQ. It's it's just it's tough, right? Because she could also be kind of like that backup striker option. She is a forward. Mm. But I look at this and I think, you know, you ask the question of who's the backup striker for Heyman. It's Emily, it's Emily Van Egmond at the end of the day. Yeah. We don't, it's not the best option. Um, but she can play there. She can do a job in a pinch. She can combine with Fowler in that false nine. Like, look, did it work in that first leg against Uzbekistan? No. But Uzbekistan also, you know, Parked the bus. They made it difficult, and yet, like, like one of the things over Tony's tenure that he's shown is, as much as his tactics can be frustrating at times, he's also shown an advancement in those tactics. And he's he he talked about that essay in the post match presser as well. Like the Matildas can now break down a low block. It's not always the prettiest thing, but they can break it down now. And we saw that against Uzbekistan in the second half. They broke it down and. You know, it took having that out and out striker to do it. But first game from Van Egmond, it's it's an anomaly at the end of the day, I think. Well, and like I mentioned, Paletti, I think that it was a case as well of if you just make a tiny little tweak here or there to the run that you make or whatever, you find yourself in a dis- different position with a higher percentage shot and it goes in the back of the net. So I don't think it's, you know, panic stations or anything. And, you know, Emily Van Egmond isn't uh, Michelle Heyman by any, any you know, uh, figment of any imagination whatsoever. But like you said, she can do a job in a pinch. And I think that you're right, that that first leg was just a little bit of an anomaly for her. And that just with a couple of tweaks here or there, she, she'd be fine. I mean, and the reality is that if she buries that sitter from four yards exactly. out, we're having a completely yeah. different discussion yeah. right now. Yeah. It, so, and that's, that's part of the problem, I think, is that it's... I hate results-based analysis, but it's also the easiest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I've got my 18. Um, no Wheeler, no Legazzo, no Grant, and no Sayer or no Wyman, depending on the makeup of which Tony wants to go with. I don't think there's any room for anyone to come in or out. Barring injuries, touch wood, we can't afford any more of those. Um, we'd love to hear what your thoughts on the 18-player squads are. Um, you know, hit us up on um, hit us up on social media. And what what are your 18-player squads? Let us know. We'd love to hear who who you think comes in or comes out. All right. Uh, just a reminder that the A League Women competition is back this weekend after international break. Um, get around the dub for those of you who are still in Melbourne uh, and haven't made the mad dash out of uh, Melbourne this morning like I did. Western United, Canberra United. If you want to see Michelle Heyman in action, you have a perfect chance tomorrow. I know it's 4.30 in the afternoon and not exactly the best time possible, but, you know, get out, have a look. Every single player who has played for the Matildas in recent memory all started in the dub. 
this is where you get to see them before they go on to bigger and greater things around the world. So get out and have a look at the dub. And then just a reminder, and we'll touch more on this next week, the weekend after is a Pride Celebration. Um, I've seen Adelaide United's kits. They look absolutely fantastic. As I, as I mentioned at the start, I've already ordered the goalkeeper kit. I saw it and knew I had to have it. Um, but that will do us for this episode of the A-Leagues of Our Own Podcast. Ross, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Uh, Jacob, thank you for joining me. Always a good time, Paletti. Thank you. Uh, we'll be back uh, on Tuesday with our A-League men's review. But thank you for listening. Goodbye.